pretty fitting video, don't you think, for, uh, for a uh, beginning of a series entitled Rethink Christmas. I mean, we're, Christmas is crazy stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy times, and, and so often we just get so, things get so hectic. Even for me, just this week, thinking about, you know, focusing on Christ, preparing this message, and, you know, all of the regular rigmarole that we go through. Um, just, just crazy times. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for an opportunity that we can hear from you this morning, and, and I just pray, Lord, that you would remove me from the picture, Lord, that you would just speak through me to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Christmas is a time that we give and receive. We give, we give gifts, we receive gifts, and, and uh, I'm excited this morning because we're going we're gonna to talk about what Jesus wants from us what Jesus wants from us as, as a Christmas gift, as it were, and what he wants us to receive from him. And so I'm going to start out just with this whole concept of uh, what, what Jesus wants from us. And before I do that, I guess I should let some of you guys know, uh, this is my second time. Um, my name is Sean Kent. My brother Fred is the better looking one that leads worship. And, uh, and so this is my second time, and uh, I'm excited to be back. I'm, I'm a little surprised. Thanks, Ken. But uh, I'm excited to be back. So for those of you um, who haven't heard from me before, this will be the, your first time hearing from me. But anyway, uh, it's a time of year that we give and receive. So when we look at that question, what does Christ want from us? The first question, I guess, has to be, is God on your Christmas list? I mean, that was the first thing that as I began to prepare for this, I began to think, well, in order for us to give something to someone, they got to be on the list, right? You make out your list. I'm going to get this for that person, this for that person, this for that person. Is God on your Christmas list? You, you very well may be, you know, this might be the very first time that you've come to church during the Christmas season. And the concept of God being on your Christmas list is just like, what? You know, I mean, it could just be way out there. So, so, and, and then also, you know, you might be in a situation where you've just never really thought about it that way. And, and one of the things that I'm really thrilled about is, is God's always capable of doing a new thing. Amen? He's always capable. Amen. He's always capable of doing a new thing. And so, you know, for some of you, you may have been coming to Christmas services uh, or, you know, services around Christmas time for years, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. But it, I'm excited because God can do a new thing. And, you know, I, I didn't grow up in church. But I started going to church as a high schooler, and so I've gone to a lot of churches, a lot of church services around Christmas time, and I'm excited for God to do a new thing. So let's, let's approach this Christmas in this series, this Rethink Christmas series, ready for God to do a new thing in us. Um, I want to share a story with you guys on this concept of giving and receiving at Christmas. You guys, isn't it interesting how we remember those Christmas gifts? We, we don't remember all of our Christmas gifts. You've had a lot of Christmases, right? You don't remember all your Christmas gifts, but you remember the duds. Do you remember the duds? I remember the duds. I remember this one particular dud, and my family goes to this church, so I don't want to get too carried away here. I'm not going to say, you know, who gave me this gift, because I don't want to offend anybody, Grandma. I mean, it was just, it was, no, it was, it was Grandma. Grandma gave me this gift. And, you know, here's the thing about grandmas. My grandma lives in California, so I'm hoping that this somehow will not make it back to her through the internet or other, you know, other ways. But anyway, um, Grandma won Christmas, and it was me, both me and my brother. 
Uh, she gave us, for Christmas, soap and a washcloth. <laughs> soap and a washcloth. A bar of soap. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the fancy. I've gotten those fancy soaps, you know, the round ones that are wrapped in tissue paper with that sticker on them. This is Les Soupes de Mon Chéri. You know, it, it wasn't like that. This, this, was, this was like Dial. I think it was Irish Spring. Fred was Irish Spring. It was, you know, like three for 99 cents. You know, it was Irish Spring. And, and then a washcloth. And, and not like a fancy washcloth either, just like a hotel washcloth kind of thing. White, you know, just kind of rough. And that's, you know, I thought about this. And, and here's the thing, grandmas, and I know there's some grandmas in the audience. Grandmas keep it real on you. They just do. And, I, and now looking back on this, I think this probably fits into that category of just grandmas keeping it real on you. But grandmas, you know, and I don't think, I don't think necessarily that all grandmas are this way, but I, I'm pretty convinced that all grandmas get this way. <laughs> and, and, and what I'm talking about is, you know how you haven't seen grandma in years, you know, and you have her over, it's Christmas time, and family's coming and stuff, and she's at the door, you know, and you open the door, hey, Grandma, how you doing? It's so good to see you. She, yeah, it's good to see you too, honey. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, you look like you're doing good. You've gained some weight. <laughs> grandmas, right? I mean, you've heard that from grandmas. That's how grandmas do. So she gave me soap and a washcloth, both me and Fred, and I, and I can just see her, you know, thinking, this is a good gift because that boy stinks. And, and, and the truth of it was, back in uh, high school, puberty, you know, 14, 15, I think is about how old I was, I did stink. Um, not just a little stink. My dad used to put, he used to change vowels in words if, if something was, you know, bigger than what the original vowel allowed for it to be. So, like, hungry would go to hungry, and stink would go to stank. And, uh, and, and, and I did. I stank. And, uh, and, and there was nothing I could do, you know. And so I think, I think when Grandma gave me this gift, it fit into that category of keeping it real. But for me, it was a dud. And I remember it because of that. And uh, obviously, it has impacted me through the years. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so when we think about good gifts, you know, what is, what is the rule of a good gift? Now, now, Grandma, when she gave me that gift, she was thinking... Maybe, I mean, maybe she was thinking, you know, this is a gift that, that my grandson needs. But the rule of a good gift is that which would bless or honor someone else, something that the other person wants, right? The Nintendo or the Xbox 360 or, you know, whatever it is. Clothes for Ken, right? Yeah, whatever it is that you want or need, right? So, and uh, by the way, I think we need to all remember to put $5 in his Christmas card. It's birthday card, right? We'll be sure to do that. So anyway, um, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. This whole concept of giving gifts tangibly to the Lord, it's kind of interesting. First time I ever really thought about it, to be honest with you. It's the first time I've ever really thought about it. Um, and so one of the great things, things about the Bible is it's just so filled with examples. It's filled with uh, opportunities for us to look back at times when people gave gifts to the Lord. This whole thing about gift giving 
is a part of the original Christmas. So we're going to look at Matthew 2. You guys there? You guys are way too quiet. You there? Yeah. Matthew 2, you got it. Okay, we're ready. So Matthew 2, 9 through 12. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This is the wise men. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So we have this example in the Bible of, of these men going to the baby Jesus with these things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, I, you know, myrrh actually, and, and some of you may know this, but I, I did a little bit of research. I just figured I should. And I, I probably had heard this before but had forgotten Myrrh was actually worth more at times in ancient times, uh, just kind of depending on the times, was worth more than gold. It was worth, by weight, if you had myrrh, 100 grams of myrrh, 100 grams of gold, it was worth more. This, these are expensive gifts. Incense, frankincense, a perfume, a lavish perfume. Myrrh was often used as an ointment for healing, those kind of things. Um, lavish, expensive stuff. It'd be like your sister having a baby and you go down to Douglas Fine Jewelry and pick out the most expensive diamond pendant you can find and take that. It's like giving that to a baby. It's, that's lavish, expensive. It's, it's way over the top. And I, and I believe that the model there is not that you should go to Douglas Fine Jewelry Design for God, but that what he wants from us is, is, and what he deserves from us is our absolute best. Not God, you know, the wise men didn't come with soap and a washcloth. They didn't come with dial and hand it to them and say, hey, you know, 14 years from now, you're going to need this because it gets bad, you know. I mean, he, he didn't, that's not what it was about. They brought him their best. They brought him their absolute best. So that's the example. And that's the premise. So we're going to look at this tangibly and think about this tangibly you know, I've often now, I've, I've, I do remember in the last 15 years or so that I could call myself a Christian and going to church and thinking about Christmas and, and, and hearing, you know, giving God my best and thinking, yeah, I need to give God my best. I need to give God my best spiritually. I need to give God my best emotionally, you know, that kind of thing in service or what have you. But tangibly, tangibly, God's not, you know, I mean, then... Jesus was, you know, there. They followed the star. There's Jesus. He's laying the thing. And they, and they put those physical, tangible things down and gave those to him. Well, believe it or not, we can tangibly give to God, too. So we're going to just go a couple blocks down the road here to Matthew 25 and look at our tangible example of what we can give the Lord this Christmas season. We're going to look at Matthew 25, 31 through 45. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So we're set up with this picture, right? There God sits, sheep and goats, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I know sheep and goats are different. Take the sheep, take the goats, 
put one on this side, put one on that side, separate them out. Okay, and here's what he says about the two groups. He says, the king will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, sheep on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Notice he didn't say, my people were hungry, my people were sick, my people were, you know, thirsty, all those things. He said, I was, I was, and you did these things for me. The righteous answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see all those things? And he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these, even the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Um, we'll stop there and just kind of evaluate. And you, you, you may or may not have heard this before, but as I read through this and, and you know, prayed over this and thought about it, the first thing that impacted me is I'm so thankful to be a father. Because I believe that being a father, God has given me just a tiny, tiny little glimpse of what it is like, what it's like to love. Um, I love my kids. I just, I really do. I'd give my life for my kids. Um, my son, actually, my wife and son are not here this morning. And they're, my, my son is sick. He wakes up snot everywhere, you know, can't come to church. So my wife is home, so she will have to hear this on the internet, right? But anyway, so, you know, but if you, you walk up to me and you ask me how I'm doing, I'm not going to say I'm sick. I'll tell you my son is sick. That's, that's what I just said. I love my son, and there is a piece of me that suffers with my son as he's sick. I don't like to see him sick. But you, you ask me how I'm doing, I'm doing good. Imagine if you came to me and, and said, Sean, how are you doing today? It's good to see you. Uh, I'm sick. Really? We just played ball last night. What are you talking about? Um, I'm, I'm really sick. You, you just, you don't look sick. You look good. You sound good. You sure? Yeah, well, my son is sick. And because he's sick, and I love him so much, I'm sick. You know, it's, that's what God is saying in this. Is, and, and what I realize is, gosh, does God love his people? God loves his people. When you're hungry, when you're sick, when you're tired, when you're when you're naked, when you're in prison, when you're in need of company, when you're in need, he feels that with you. He feels that with his brothers. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, when you did these things, when you helped that person, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just, just, just talking about it. You know, when you did those things to these, the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. That's what he says. So then we read on, and, and then we learn about the goats. He says, you know, for those of you who didn't do those things, you know, you're, you're on the other side. Um, so anyway, tangible love, tangible gifts. God loves his people. And what God says in his word is that he himself is in need. He himself is in need of food. I just made a list. I just... I just Kind of put all that stuff down, and, and here's what he says. Tangibly, I'm in need of food, water, clothing, care, and company. He's in need of those things. So what can we give God this Christmas, this Christmas season? Food, water, clothing, care, and company. 
pretty powerful. It's awesome that tangibly we have the opportunity to give to the Lord in that capacity. Ken's going to come up and share uh, about what God wants us to receive from him. And uh, so as we kind of transition into that, Ken, why don't you go ahead and come up? Feels good telling Ken what to do. <laughs> I could get used to this. That's <laughs> you kid, man. That's you kid. Yeah. All right. The, uh, it's, it's, I feel like I'm supposed to tell jokes. Um, the, uh, it's powerful what Sean is saying here. And, and what, as we brainstormed through to get going this Christmas series, and we wanted to, to say something that was meaningful. Um, if, if God, you know, it says in Peter to pastors and preachers, speak as if you're speaking the very words of God. Uh, and if that doesn't cause you to brainstorm a little more than you normally would, then something's wrong, right? And so as Sean and I were kind of wrestling with this, we want it to be something meaningful. It really was this whole idea of God would want something from us this, this Christmas. Um, we give to the people we care about. You know when someone's really far down on the list, um, it's like maybe if somebody else gives me a gift that I don't really like, I can sneak it in as a re-gift, and then I can claim that I gave that person a gift, you know. But there's, we have those, those circles or those rings, and the further out you get, the less important you are to, to a, me or you or whoever. And if God is supposed to be like the sun at the center of our lives, he's the thing that everything revolves around, then we ought to be yearning to give him something. And to think that we can give to other people and that God kind of counts that as a gift that he opened up and unwrapped himself is amazing. And it's challenging and it's humbling. And so in your bulletins, there's actually some opportunities, some different things that you can look at if you're struggling with, gee, I'd love to just give back this Christmas. How do I do that? You can look in the bulletin. You can go to the welcome table. There's stuff. But so the back half of this whole thing, which is amazing to me, it's always been... Um, I'm a preacher with time. <laughs> I just looked at the clock. And um, it, it's, it's amazing what goes through your head when you're speaking. And you never know what goes through someone's head. Um, but, uh, but anyways, uh, I can elaborate on this. Um, all throughout Scripture, and someday we'll do a whole sermon around this, but it's amazing to me that the presence of God is promised, okay? The, the I will be with you is always on the back end of a commissioning, okay? Moses, go and set my people free in what? I'm going to go with you. Okay. Joshua, lead the people into the land and don't be afraid, be courageous, all those things, I'm going to go with you. And then Jesus comes, there's a whole lot of other examples, but Jesus comes and lives his life, takes these disciples, and basically says, what I've done, that ministry, I'm now passing on to you guys, I'm commissioning you, go and make followers of God, um, go make disciples, and guess what? I'll go with you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, or, or Jesus' exact words. And so the promise of the presence of God always seems to follow a commissioning or go with a commissioning. And the whole idea is, I'm asking you to do something bigger than what you can do in your own strength. It's, 
I ask human people to do big things. And you need to know, and guess what? You're going to need it along, along the way. You're going to need the power of my presence. If for no, no other thing than just confidence or encouragement, uh, where you're about to bow out or give up, I'm going to be there, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm there. I'll go with you. Okay? And I think what happens sometimes is we, we get lost in the Christian life and wonder, what's it all about? I mean, I, I've got this relationship with God, and now I'm bored. I don't know what to do. Um, I've got everything I need. God promises to be with me, and, and now I just kind of go through my days, and, and I'm lost. And I think it's a misunderstanding of the Christian life. God being with us is, is a part of God also calling us. And when we don't understand the calling to, to live for God and for His glory and to carry out His ministry in this world, um, there's so many people going, where is God in, in all this mess? And you know what they usually mean by that is, is I'm holding God responsible for not being here to help in this mess. The way I hear that is, um, where's the church? And where are the Christians in this mess? Because that's how God chose to work and bring light into all this darkness or to bring healing into all this mess was through people, through us, through Christians. And so when we don't get that and understand that I'm going to experience God's presence the more I minister according to God's calling, that those things kind of go together, right? We, we just kind of just... Um, it's like a couch potato Christianity, right? And I think we have to recapture that we are called to tangibly do things if we ever hope to have a vital, meaningful relationship with God. If it's not going out here, it's not going to be coming in over here. If there's no outlet to a stream or a, or a, a lake or a pond or whatever, it's not going to be fresh, it's going to be a dead pond, stagnant. There's, there's no movement. And I think God is so desperately hungry to pour himself into some of our lives, and there's no room because we're, there's nothing going out. And, and he's, he's just, man, if you could just get this first thing going and realize that I've called you to give and to love and to serve and to help go into the messy situations and bring life to it so that it creates need that I can then fill in your life. It creates a hunger that I can satisfy. It, it creates desperation. And that's where you're going to find me in worship because that's when I can come and speak to you. It's when you're going to hear, when I can, can be clear, crystal clear. And so I, I think it's so important and then we get the first half of this. And then we can understand the second half. And the second half is just right before that Matthew passage in Matthew chapter 1. And this is a Christmas message and we sang the song and here is the verse. And it's Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And it says this, All of this, Mary being with child, etc., etc., all of this, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
And what he had said was this, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That little baby in a manger, if, if there's any one thing that we could stamp onto our minds that when you see this, you see the baby, this is what you ought to think. Okay? This is what it ought to conjure up. Is that God, who was, not, who was completely far, is now near. Okay? God, who was other, different than us, is now showed up on the scene with us. And it's so hard to get our minds around. The way I, I love it best is C.S. Lewis. And it's amazing how he kind of came up with this analogy. It's in his autobiography. In the chapter where he gets saved, the title of that chapter is called Checkmate. Because, um, you know, God finally got him kind of a thing. And he was talking about how he was an agnostic that I, I don't think anybody can know this God. Or if there is a God, we just can't know. That he kind of began there. And, he was, and his question was always, that, that had haunted him, was, how can Hamlet know Shakespeare? I mean, think about it. How can Hamlet, I mean, he's, he's on this little timeline in the book. How can he know Shakespeare, the author that's off of that timeline, out of that book, out of that plot, the whole deal? How can that happen? And so he's saying, this was the thing. I'm agnostic. I don't think we can know God. And then in this chapter, Checkmate, he goes along, and in a footnote, you know, that's how I think of C.S. Lewis. He says more in footnotes than what I can say in a, if I was writing a chapter. This is how he came to understand that analogy. Shakespeare could, in principle, make himself appear as author, capital A, as author within the play, and write a dialogue between Hamlet and himself. The quote-unquote Shakespeare within the play would of course be at once Shakespeare and one of Shakespeare's creatures. It would bear some analogy to the incarnation. And the incarnation is what it is with Jesus there, and it, it, the word actually means to take on flesh, to be written in as a, as a creature or a character in the play. And when we see this baby, this baby that they will call Emmanuel, the whole idea is God is now here. He's with us. Now turn back to Isaiah, who's the prophet Matthew's quoting. And uh, we'll see just a little something. Chapter 7 of Isaiah. Now Isaiah is having a dialogue here with the king. And in verse 10 of chapter 7, says this. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign that, that he will do, that he will be with Jerusalem and his people and the nation. Ask for a sign, whether it is in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. The, it doesn't matter how big it is. I'm willing to grant it, to give you a sign. And Ahaz says this, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And, and I, I find this to be one of the funniest things uh, I've come across in, in a long time. Because people are goofy, right? <laughs> Our pride shows up in the weirdest ways. Like when we're actually trying to be humble 
it just shows how proud we are sometimes, you know. And listen to how the prophet gets mad at Ahaz. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? He said, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign. Now's not the time to try and be heroic. No, I will not put God to the test. <laughs> just quit outthinking yourself. You know, we Christians do that, right? We just try and complicate everything. I'm going to be spiritual this time. No, just, just, God said do it, just do it. Don't over-spiritualize it. And so it's kind of funny here. Ahaz says, no, I won't come up with a sign. So guess what God does? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So God says, it's got to be a big sign. Ask me. The lowest depths, the highest heights, ask me for a sign because it's got to be big. Ahaz doesn't take the challenge. So God says, okay, I'll, I'll give you the sign. So this is the best sign that God himself could come up with. I mean, let me say it again just for effect, okay? This is the best sign that the God of the universe could come up with. What is that sign? The best sign that God himself could come up with. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The sign I want you to have is the one that will make you realize I am with you. Period. That I work in time and space. I work in the difficult situations and I put myself right in the thick of it. And I, and I experience it too, like Sean was saying, when the father says, I am sick, where did that, that little baby show up? In humble circumstances. And God is wanting to identify with his people, the poor, the sick, the needy, the hurting. And he's saying, I'm going to show up right in the, in the thick of it, in the mess of it, and I'm going to be right there with you. This is Shakespeare, the, the creature, the character. This is Emmanuel. This is me being right there with you. Now this message, um, this little half of a message, uh, might speak best to those of you that are burned out, stressed out, wigged out, whatever right now. Um, if you're going up to Walmart and there's that guy ringing the bell and smiling at you and, and, and all you want to do is just go choke him, okay, um, you are best positioned to hear this little part of a message, Okay? Um, I actually had a little video clip just to try and frame who, because you guys know who you are, but, but here's a picture of who you are, okay? Um, okay, Th those of you people that, that you realize that as, as good a days as we have, as good a months as we have, as good a years as we have, guess what? There's going to be bad mornings. Okay, bad afternoons, bad months, bad seasons, and it doesn't matter how great today is, there's going to be another bad spell for you at some point. And those of you that are there know that there's just one thing you desperately need. 
You got nothing to give, okay? You got, I mean, there's nothing to give. It's not there. And the one thing you desperately need is someone to be in there with you. You know, we, we, we judge our friends. I'm becoming more and more like this, you know. If, if I kind of like you now or think that maybe someday you'll make an elder um, at this church, be ready because I'm going to pick a fight with you. Um, because I'm, I'm coming to the point where I'm judging people on how they handle conflict more than how they handle, like, a, 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 you know, a party. It's, it's in the conflict or when you're really going through a rough patch and you've got nothing to give that you find out who your true friends are, right? Who's going to be standing with me? And what we find out is that that is right where God meets us. If no one else is there, we've got a God who is there. If we've made our own mess, um, we've got a God who's there with us in that mess that we've made for ourselves. He doesn't judge. He wants to help. If we're in a mess that we didn't create, it's like a Greek tragedy, you know, like that. That's like a little mini Greek tragedy. Um, how can life be like this? But that's what Greek tragedies are. And in the midst of that, God will meet us. And I kept trying to think to myself, how can I explain how important this is, this concept of presence? And it's like uh, being in a house and the difference between having somebody in another room, you know, your husband, you know, a friend, your roommate, whatever, or being completely home all alone. Even if you're not talking to them, even if you can't see them, even if you can't hear them, you know they're there. And it makes all the difference, right? I mean, I had a seminary professor um, who used to open the passenger door for Jesus to get in the car and shut it, and then he'd go get in just to always remind him that Jesus was with him. And I still, to this day, think the guy is an absolute fruitcake, okay? Um, But I resonate a little bit with what he was trying to do. That this whole idea, it's the biggest sign that God could give us. It's the present he gave us 2,000 years ago. That's why we have that little box with the top off. We've got the best gift that we can possibly have, but it's, it's like air, Is there anything more important than the air we breathe? But we can take it so for granted, right? And so I'm I'm desperately thinking, God, how do I tell people that that this this is a manual? God with us, that you're with us. How do I say that so that it means something? And uh, and so God planned it all for me. So Mike Mitchell, if if you'll come up. Uh, Mike doesn't know he's doing this. Um, but, uh, But this is really serious. Uh, Mike grabbed me, and with the biggest smile I've seen on his face, um, heartfelt smile, he told me, this is the anniversary of when my dad accepted the Lord. And I just want to ask him a couple questions, let him tell us a little bit about that, because God with us, although it doesn't seem like it's that big of a concept, makes all the difference in the world. And why don't you just tell us the story, um, just the broad, how many years ago, and what were the circumstances? Um, you're wrong, Ken. I did know I was going to do this morning. Because the Lord told me when I was up there to uh, just come over to you and tell you that uh, this was the anniversary. And I just, said, I just told him, and I went back and sat down. So um, I got the greatest gift that uh, you can imagine. 
It was about 14 years ago, and um, uh, I was in the living room, and my father had provided a great home for me and my brother, um, and we were a family. Uh, my mom had passed away a few years before, and like many people in that time frame, uh, they drank a lot, uh, they lived hard, and he, um, after my mom died, was pretty much a mess. But he was his own mess, and he said, uh, you know, I basically believe that God is the sun, earth, stars, moon, ocean, all this stuff. And I had prayed for my dad for years and years and years. My brother did too. My brother's a pastor, and he prays. And uh, <laughs> I said, you know, Dad, I said, you are worshiping the creation and not the creator. And that was something that I, I'm not that smart to say that, and I know I'm not the first one to say it, but I said it. And my dad bowed his head and started crying. And a feeling in me said, Ask him if he'll accept me. And um, I did. And my dad says, I'm ready. I wasn't ready, you know, because I ran over to my wife, Heidi, and I said, Heidi, you got to come over here. Something's going on. <laughs> There's a miracle at the Mitchells. And that truly was a miracle. That is the gift that every year comes back to me under the tree. And um, my dad is, is still living, and he's still walking with the Lord. His life changed. It, it totally changed. It was a great thing. So um, I'm just going to say this. This story is for somebody here. The story is, is for somebody in their heart to say, God, I know you're here. I know you're here for my family. I know you're here. It might be for you. And this might be the day that you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. might be this Christmas, but whatever, it's a miracle and it's a gift. And if this is the day, Ken will be over here to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. The, uh... It's... Uh... I think we get lulled into this idea sometimes that if we're looking at someone or talking to someone that grew up in a Christian home and they tell kind of their story, their life story, wow, you're always that way. Well, you know, when you, you talk to somebody who came to know God or experience God or, or allow God to come into their life later in life, um, it's, a, it's quite an amazing thing. And that's why I said this might be for somebody who's just at their wit's end and saying, you know, I, I'm tired of being alone in this mess. I want God to be in the middle of this mess with me. <laughs> um, and it might not seem like it's going to make all the difference in the world, but it will make all the difference in the world. And just bringing it back to the main uh, part of where we started. When I, went, when I was at uh, Biola University um, at, at seminary, they had this little, uh, there's a couple of other people that went to college there, but they had this little uh, cafe and, and coffee shop, uh, bookstore area, like little kind of runway. And there was all these tables out there. And it was uh, where all the non-meal plan st you know, students went to eat, right? And it was full for like three, four hours during the middle of the day. And uh, when I was single and had a lot of time on my hands, I used to just study people. It was, it's fun to watch people um, because we're weird. Uh, 
And I started noticing that whenever there was two girls, the tables were all four, um, you know, uh, square with four chairs. Okay. Now, someone's going to get offended at me at this because it's a, it's a whole uh, gender um, observation. But, uh, but when the, it says, um, so take it in the spirit in which it's... Yeah. No, um, there's, four ch- there's four chairs. And, and whenever there was two girls eating together... They would be um, across from each other and, and like looking into each other's eyes kind of a thing and listening and conversing. And whenever I would see just two guys, they'd be like sideways to each other facing whichever was the out direction. So they could just watch people go by, you know, and they wouldn't be talking. They'd just be together observing, you know. Um, and and maybe that's not true. Maybe you're thinking, you know, just this week I was with another woman and she was sitting, you know, not across from me. Uh, but that whole twisted, convoluted illustration to say sometimes guys that I know know this. If we're going to connect, it has to be doing something. Um, we got to be playing sports or watching football or that's why women's ministries are always, I think it's why women's ministries are always bigger than men's ministries. Because men, you know, what do you mean we're just going to go to breakfast and hear a sermon at 8 in the morning on Saturday, you know? Um, We've got to be doing something. And I think Christians are like that with God. I I think it's just a human thing that God has made us what I was saying before, that as we are pouring ourselves out and as we are loving other people and as we are just taking on this life and trying to make something of it and trying to make a difference in in whatever it is, that when we're doing something, we're best postured to have God with us. Does that make sense? That he says, as you go and make disciples, as you go and take on this life, guess what? Here's my promise. I will be with you. And this Christmas season, as you tackle it, as you take it on, as you run into people, um, try and get beneath the smile and find the need and just love them or serve them and just try it and see if you don't just sense that God somehow is more with you in those moments than than he is in the other moments. And I think he wants to join with us in serving and loving other people. Uh, we're going to pray right now, and, and the ladies are going to come up and sing, and, and we're going to take the offering this morning. Um, but just as we pray, may you look at that nativity scene that we see every year and somehow say that picture was the idea, the sign that God had in his mind that was better than all the other possible signs he could have given us to let us know that he's right here in it with us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the life you have given us, and we would just ask and pray that you would help us live beyond ourselves, that you would give us a vision for life that would truly be rewarding Would you show us the the groups or the people, the areas where we can minister and love and serve and make a difference in people's lives? And may we be able to see somehow that we're making an impact. May we know the joy of that. And in all of it, Father God, just make us aware of your presence. 
Let it change us. Let it revolutionize our prayer life. May it fill us with energy and comfort and encouragement and joy. May we not treat it uh, lightly as something to just be taken for granted and forgotten. In Christ's name.